I always say that physical retail isn't dead. Boring retail is dead. Our industry has been built upon very analog systems. But in this increasingly digital era, we have really had to shift digital. And there are some uncomfortable pieces of digital. It does not matter if you are a client, if you are an architect, designer, a sales rep, it boils down to access of information to make timely and informed decisions. You just heard the voices of three different perspectives we'll get in today's episode. When it comes to the blending of physical and digital, it's no longer an either or. Even for those of us who design physical space, how do we take the best of both worlds to supercharge our projects and processes? I'm your host, Meredith Campbell, research and content development at ThinkLab, and this is The Learning Objective, a podcast for the architecture and design community where you can earn continuing education credit for listening. Today's episode is approved by IDCEC and AIA. In part one, we'll get the research perspective from Amanda Schneider, founder and president of market research firm ThinkLab. ThinkLab has been researching how the blend of physical and digital is impacting the way we specify product and interact with our teams and clients. She'll share new research about our physical digital journeys in the design ecosystem. Then in part two, we'll hear from Marty Najafi, Vice President, Retail Strategy and Design at Figure 3. Retail is arguably leading the way when it comes to designing blended physical in-store interactions with the brand and digital tools to remove friction in the buying process. What can we learn from the work their team is doing to inspire your process, regardless of which sector you work in? And finally, in part three, we'll hear from Carrie Anderson, interior designer turned UX designer with practical advice to design digital journeys in interior spaces. But first, here's today's episode sponsor and continuing education provider, Trisha Rongich from Panalam with The Learning Objective. After listening to today's episode, you'll be able to first, interpret what digital means. Second, analyze the shifts happening in the specification process. Third, examine the customer journey in retail for inspiration. Lastly, relate digital thinking to interior design. I'm Amanda Schneider. I am the founder and president at ThinkLab. I am a product designer by background. I grew up in this industry on the manufacturer side, starting in product design, moving into market research, product development, through a role in showrooms, which is really the first time that I saw the world of interior design and industrial design come together. And I saw that there was a real need to bridge a gap, <laughs> that as much as you would think that they're similar, that there was really an opportunity to drive an insight-focused approach to helping blend those two worlds. Our tagline at ThinkLab is researching the world of design. A lot of ThinkLab's research really is focused around helping interior designers understand the product people, and the product people understand how interior designers work. And that's a lot of the foundation of ThinkLab. Amanda introduces us to a word that you may have heard before, but its origins are from outside of the interior design industry realm, digital. We say digital. 
And ThinkLab did not invent the word, but we have pulled it in a big way into the world of interior design. It's really a simple blending of the word physical and digital. Our industry has really been built upon very analog systems. We love to touch and feel. We are creative. We are building physical space. So most certainly it makes sense. But in this increasingly digital era, we have really had to shift digital. And there are some uncomfortable pieces of digital. Sometimes it feels impersonal. Sometimes it can feel mechanic or even cold. And in an industry filled with creatives who love to hug and handshake, we've really struggled with this transition to digital. So the idea of fidgetal, while digital may be seen as negative and our old physical only analog world may be seen as antiquated, I think this idea of fidgetal is the idea of blending the best of both worlds. It's the efficiency of the digital world. Think about the idea of leveraging visualization to help our clients visualize with these increasingly helpful digital tools in a way that we could never do in a sustainable way if we were to actually build space and destruct it and throw it away, if you will. But it's also leveraging the best of this analog world and making sure that we retain those things that we've always done that still make sense in this digital era so we don't move too far to make it impersonal, mechanic, or cold. But there's another powerful reason that designers should care about this integration in their own work. This may be something you can relate to. We've heard so much about this time drought as part of our most recent hackathon. And I think this digital era really speaks to that time drought that in this Amazon era, when our clients expect so much, like immediately without time and creativeness and iterating on a design. I think the idea of fidgetal really supports that because it helps us to see where is that creative time best spent and where should we be giving up maybe some of these nostalgic things that don't make sense anymore so that we can create a great experience for our clients, not only in the final space that we produce, but also in the process of getting to that space. Amanda shares what ThinkLab's research reveals on how some of the mainstays in our industry are changing. So every year, ThinkLab does something that we call a hackathon. And a hackathon is really just a chance to tackle some of the industry's biggest, hairiest challenges. A lot of that work really takes place at this intersection of interior design and product people in the name of specification. The hackathon that I'm going to talk about was looking at the future of product specification as we enter this hybrid era. Now, at the time of that research, we weren't really sure if this hybrid era was here to stay or a temporary thing as a result of the pandemic. But these insights did stand the test of time. Amanda shares how these five cornerstones at the intersection of design and product have shifted, starting with showrooms. In the future, showrooms will be less about formal, awkward tours and more about informal, interactive workshops. So really looking at that valuable in-person time and how it's going to be more valuable in this digital era. As we think about physical space, I think it's ironic, and I know that there's a lot of weight around this back-to-office conversation, but I think like our back-to-office conversations, showrooms are one that ironically, as we're freed up from them, it makes the time that we spend in them and in that physical space more valuable, so we don't want to waste a moment of it. (laughs) So we think about when we say workshop, I think it really has to do with optimizing that in-person time. The second, libraries. 
our phrase around this one was less library, more lab. I think maybe from my upbringing, I think of library and I think of a space you're supposed to be quiet and you're supposed to behave. And when I think of lab, I think about breaking things and experimenting and maybe even getting messy. And as we think about the future of libraries, much like that physical space when we think about showrooms, it's really going to be about leveraging where that physical space is best and really queuing into that speed as well. How can we make this the most functional space possible? The third is events. As we think about how to spend our valuable in-person time, it's about less fluff, more substance. We've heard a lot of quotes from our research. If I'm only downtown three days a week, I can't imagine taking a two-hour lunch just to go have lunch with a rep. So if I'm going to spend my time to go to events, if I'm going to spend my time going somewhere, I want it to be because I'm learning something that is augmenting the job that I have to do when I'm away from my family or my hobbies or my friends, that I want that event to be worthwhile to further my career or my projects or something else that benefits my life. So less fluff, more substance. Number four, product presentations and product discovery. This one has been a really interesting one because I think it's less about educate, educate, educate. And I think that's where our industry has been. In a previous life, I was a rep and I could go into a major firm downtown Chicago. I had a monthly standing appointment. As long as I brought great food, the whole interiors department would show up and I could talk about a chair or whatever else I wanted to for a whole hour. But I think when I hear today, one of the things we started saying at the onset of the pandemic is 15 minutes is the new hour. And I think it's less about teaching me everything there is to know, because in this Amazon era, especially in this increasingly digital era, when we all have so much coming at us, there's only so much our brains can handle. So I feel like there is this vibe around don't teach me everything there is to know, but teach me to fish. So I know where to find what I need on your website. I know when I should be inspired by your brand, etc, etc. And finally, the role of the local rep. Now, ThinkLab research has found that 95% of designers now begin their product search online versus with a rep. But Amanda shares that despite how the specification process is changing, the role of the local rep is still extremely valuable. This has shifted drastically in the last few years, and we have a lot more work to do here. I want to first say that that local rep, those relationships we hear are still so very important. We're in the midst of our current hackathon, which is all around Gen Z. And even to Gen Z, I can say those relationships are so important but how they're leveraged in the future may be a little bit different. The biggest things that we hear that is shifting is what was the fount of knowledge for this rep. Now I want to be able to self-serve and access some of that. Think about that, teach me to fish. I want to be able to access some of that. But when I need a human, it's because I need that human to do things that a machine, that this cold digital world cannot. And I really want to make sure I have that warm connection so relationships matter. So if we think about it as less, I have to go to you for everything and I am bound to you, less this fount of knowledge and more this concierge, this person that can really help me curate what I actually need to know. I think that's another way that things are changing for the future. We've talked about the intersection of product specification and interior design. Now let's shift our focus to the digital journey with your clients and internal teams. ThinkLab is also the subcontractor who analyzes all of the data for the interior design giants of design. And from that research of the largest design firms in the country, Amanda shares her advice. I would say the biggest one overall is be open to what we call a beta test mindset. 
And this applies with your clients. It applies with your colleagues. It also applies with your product partners. That this new normal is just that. It's new. And so we've got to really be open to test, give direct feedback, even to some of those partners, coworkers, colleagues, clients about what's working, what doesn't, but really be open to these new ideas, fearlessly test them, help to state what these social norms are in this next normal. The second one is don't throw a fish in the air. When we think about this physical digital world, we have this great quote that says, just because you throw a fish in the air does not make it a bird. You can imagine that fish falling back into the water and thriving in the water, but really not thriving well in the air. And I think too often in this physical digital world, what we often want to do is take what we knew in the physical realm and just repeat it digitally. Let's take meetings, for example. How many of us feel over constrained on meetings? Like we've got too many meetings. Um, Maybe that worked in the physical realm when we were face to face, but it is not working when we go zoom to zoom in this digital realm. So how do we really think that? And the digital realm gives us an opportunity to really think this asynchronous work as one example. So it's not about taking what worked over here and just repeating it over there. It really is about reinventing how something could thrive when it's intended to breathe in the air and not breathe in the water or thrive in the digital world when maybe it was previously invented to thrive in the physical world. And the last one is something that I'm encouraging everyone to think about just because it's hot on my mind because of our current hackathon, which is this idea of Gen Z as prototype. And I have personally spent the last couple of weeks in over 20 hours of focus groups with Gen Zers looking at some of the challenges that have come up in our most recent hackathon from firm leaders. And the beautiful thing about Gen Z is that they are so pure and fresh. And the great saying is, a fish doesn't know it's in water, it's just swimming. And I think sometimes we're quick to dismiss younger generations as people that don't have the perspective or don't have viewpoints in what they're seeing. But having spent so many hours with them over the last couple of weeks, it's really beautiful to see that purity. And as we think about this digital world, one of the biggest ahas from spending this time with them is they really don't see a separation between physical and digital. In some of these sessions, we would ask them what they would do in physical world or when they're face to face. And they would talk about digital tools like Miro that they would leverage. And then you ask them about digital tools and they would talk about something that involves face to face, that in their mind, it is so blended, they just can't even see it as separate. So I think by looking at the fresh perspective of some of our youngest generations that look at things in very different ways and very naturally and authentically, we can really start to see these ways the future is like to run that will give us more of those ideas to beta test and reframe as we try to reinvent our own process. And to spark innovation inside our industry, Amanda suggests we look outside of our industry. It's challenging for us to think about our own process. We are an industry of product innovation, and whether your product is a chair or furniture or flooring, or whether your product is a physical space that is beautifully designed for someone to teach in or live in or work in, I think that we struggle to think about process innovation as in-depth as we think about our own product innovation. The good news is there is so much inspiration available to us out there. And one of the things that we talk about all the time is we are a B2B industry. All of our buyers are B2B buyers. Yet we are all in our lives as consumers watching this B2C or business to consumer world get increasingly frictionless. 
And when I think about our B2B buyers, that's business to business, I think that no longer are they going to go to work and expect the same friction-filled processes that we've always had. So the good news for us in the B2B world is that there's tons of inspiration out there if we listen. (laughs) We give a lot of examples of this in our Design Nerds Anonymous podcast. As one of our season five interviewees, a woman by the name of Natalie Nixon says, creativity loves constraints. So I think when we try to put two things that maybe don't belong together, that's where a lot of really creative ideas come. And if we can put some of those constraints to force some of these things that don't inherently belong together, that's where we can push some of this inspiration really working from what works in other realms and being the first to bring it to our beloved industry. Now, as Amanda mentioned, the B2B space is one of the best places to look for inspiration. So we wanted to get the perspective of someone who has deep roots in the retail sector. Next, you'll hear my interview with Marty Najafi. I joined him virtually in his Toronto studio. I'm Marty Najafi. I'm the Vice President of Retail Strategy and Design at Figure 3. Figure 3 is a Toronto-based interior design firm. We have four studios, workplace design, residential design, hospitality, and retail. I run the retail end of everything at Figure 3. One of the quote that I heard you say is when you can buy anything online, the reasons that you go into a physical store are more than just a transaction. How do you see the retail sector responding to this balance of physical and digital? The response is so prominent that we now have a new term, digital. Even before the pandemic hit, Starbucks app was somewhat order in advance and pick up at curbside. Nike in their Nike live concept store that they started in Melrose, Los Angeles, they had a curbside pickup order in advance via your Nike app and don't even come into the store or go into a locker and grab. So the proactive, progressive retailers were already ahead of the game. The ones that were behind had to put all their efforts and money and get closer to where we are right now. And we saw the rise of e-commerce in the pandemic, but there was a lot of things missing. What we learned was it was a convenience factor. Everyone was just buying and enjoying this e-commerce, oh, deliver at the door. Gradually, when the world opened up, we saw in the past two months, unfortunately, a lot of e-commerce retailers started letting go of their staff because the hype went down. Why? After all, we're human beings and we're social beings. And we like to be in the know, be in the buzz, meet like-minded people. E-commerce platform that was very convenient had a lot of things missing. We couldn't touch, feel, test, experiment. And the reviews and the comparables were very convenient. But gradually over time, we lost faith of them. So... All of a sudden, physical retail and experiential retail tipped over. I always say that physical retail isn't dead. Boring retail is dead. What is it that would bring people into the space, connect with your brand, connect with the stories you want to tell? And it has to be services or product drops or any touch point that they can't get from the online experience. I love that part of convenience that 
even though it was forced upon us, it seems like that convenience factor is a really important part of that integration. You talked a little bit about the highlighted role yeah. of physical space, because all of a sudden we were in this kind of 100%-ish, mm -hmm. depending on where you were, mm -hmm. digital experience with our brands. Mm -hmm. So the new role of physical has to do something that you can't get in the digital space, right? 100%. If you remember back in the day before the pandemic, we would go into a store, ask for a particular size or a particular color or texture and they would say we have it but it's online and the staff would rarely ring you right then and there and say we're going to send it to your home okay now i need to leave and go check your online platform there was a disconnect now brands physical and retail is totally connected immersed intertwined together and if the inventory is not available in the store Smart staff has to be trained to ring you and find the size and model that you want. You pay and it's delivered. You can either pick it up from the store or deliver it to your doorstep. We always talked about omni-channel and such buzzy terminology in retail, but never was everyone practicing it at the same wavelength that it should be. Right now, it's really harmonized. And even mom and pop stores, maybe they don't have to courier it, but it's to a level, if they want to keep their loyal customers, they'd say, I don't have it right now, but I'll send it to your door immediately as it comes in. That's the level of customer service and connection that everyone expects. It's really more like a concierge versus just someone helping you transact in the store, that they're guiding you through this experience, yeah. whether it's online, yeah. whether it's in store. Totally. It was all the retailers that their strategy model was just a destination. They thought people would come to them no matter what. But now there's so many choices from different levels, be it what your brand stands for, what your company stands for. Are you delivering to what your promises are? And consumers are very smart these days. You can't fool them with just a few mission vision statements in your website. You have to deliver. Are there any brands that are notable to you that are designing these really fantastic physical digital experiences? Not that I'm paid or on their payroll, but Nike and Starbucks has always been cutting edge on experimenting. And then they're role models for many other retails. From retail design standpoint, we retail designers always use Apple as a cutting edge. Apple decided to unbox all these expensive gadgets that we buy because prior to that, it was all boxed. But then they unboxed it, put it on a table, and you started playing with it. That was Pioneer. So from a retail physical standpoint, store design, Apple was a pioneer. But in terms of blending seamless integration of digital and physical Starbucks and Nike have been on the forefront. A lot of others are catching up and experimenting, but it's all about how it works and how seamless it works. Whether we like it or not, we are a generation that don't have patience anymore. And a big term in retail is the frictionless customer journey. So whatever your business is, whatever your store model, physical or digital store model is, that journey 
that wire map A to Z has to be frictionless. How many times have we been on an online platform and we want to ring something in and then it asks for your, it doesn't connect to a PayPal or any other fast serve checkouts and you have to pull out your credit card and you're like, ah, whatever, I don't want to even go through it. That happens in physical too. How many times have we been in a store, you've been looking for an associate to get into a fitting room and you're like, ah, forget it. Or how many times have we been in at a checkout and the checkout line is too busy or people are fumbling with the self-serve checkout and you're like, forget it. So all those are pain points, examples, or you've asked for a certain size and the staffer disappears in the back of house. And <laughs> observe, study, research your pain points, work with experts and take care of those pain points so it's a frictionless journey. We talked about cutting edge technology. There was a concept store in one of the malls in Columbus, Ohio that was direct to consumer. You know how you go to certain apparel stores and you look at the array and many of us look around and if there's mannequins on the window, that's what we want. It's paired well and it works well. They've asked visual merchandisers to put together all these pairings and outfits together with all different brands. And it was like going to an Ikea store and being in their showroom and you see the bedroom and you get excited. And then on the side, there was a breakdown. So the app allowed you for the breakdown. And okay, if you had the jeans, you'd go for the top and the bag and the sneakers, right? And you would go in and use technology to choose your products and it would show up in the fitting room. You go try it. If you don't want it, you throw it back through a bin. It comes out of your apps. Similar to the Amazon Go experience, it was the convenience store that you go and grab and go and walk out and you pay through your app. It was now shopping apparel in a very exciting Mission Impossible way. So I know it's a concept. It may roll out. It may be successful. But many retailers, if it's right for them, don't force it. If it's not for the type of target group that work with your brand and connect with your brand, don't go too far in the technology aspect. Just study who you're designing for, what makes their life easier, what makes your staff's life easier, and try to eliminate all the pain points in the shopping journey. It was brands showing you some already created things so you didn't have to work so hard exactly. to imagine exactly. it because so often it's overwhelming it's, when you walk into a store and you see 10 million different options. More is not always better. And that's the pain point that they found. If they pair items together and create this curated bucket, if you will, the shopability would be high. Marty leaves us with his thoughts on how the pendulum may have swung too far in some areas, yet the future of retail in the blend of physical and digital looks bright. We went too far into consumerism, and now we realize that it's not about buying stuff, it's what makes me happy. We went too far into polluting our Mother Earth, and we're now pulling back sustainability and caring and deciding and making wise choices is now important and the younger generation are thinking better and analyzing way better. 
we went too far into turning ourselves into introverts and technology enabled that. And then the pandemic reminded us we're social beings and we thrive being with like-minded people. So it's that balance that one's going through, the society is going through, and it also applies to any industry we're working in, especially our focus and discussion of today is retail. And we see that. We see that landlords are now thinking about sustainability. There's a new neighborhood in Milan, Porto Novo. It's a new master-planned industrial multi-use retail complex. And the landlords there, the only lease spaces to retailers if they have sustainable fixtures and finishes and details into the store and when their lease ends, they have to take everything with them. Nothing can go in the landfill. This is really great. I wish these type of learnings also gradually come into North America and we start practicing that too. In our final section, we'll get perspective from an adjacent industry, UX design. Here's interior designer turned UX designer, Carrie Anderson, with practical advice on how digital experience can inspire our physical interior spaces. First, how did she end up in UX design and how are the fields similar? My background started with my journey over two decades ago, graduating with my interior design degree. And I spent majority of my career at commercial furniture dealerships. And even in my college days, I was that early adopter of technology. I was also a change manager for the dealerships that I worked in to help others adopt those technologies. Because I'm very curious and a continuous learner, that's what took me back to school for UX design. I wanted to learn more about what is design like within that digital space. The digital space is only growing and growing more importance in all of our lives. So I have my own consulting business focusing on UX design for commercial interiors. I did not want to lose that 20 plus years of experience of the knowledge and language of commercial interiors. So for those of us who aren't familiar, what exactly is UX design? When you go into a website and you have a really great experience, you're able to find the places that you need, the information that you want, that is good design and a UX designer probably participated in that. As a UX designer, when you go to a website and you have a bad experience, that is also where I spend my time to be able to find that functionality and how can we create a better experience. When it comes to technology's role in design, Carrie says that it all boils down to one thing that we all need, regardless of where we reside in the design ecosystem. It does not matter if you are a client, if you are an architect, designer, a sales rep, it boils down to access of information to make timely and informed decisions. It's as simple as that. So what technologies are out there helping us? I would definitely say AR is. I've seen amazing presentations utilizing AR of, oh, you really like this flooring product and they can display, here's what it looks like in your space. We can really cut a couple weeks of mock-ups out of the process, multiple samples that are needing to be sent to the space. So integrating AR is become a large success. And I say AR, the augmented reality versus VR. 
there are some challenges with VR, with the ability to put on those goggles, putting people in some uncomfortable positions. Manufacturers have really implemented visualizers or configurators onto their websites. And that goes back to access to information to make timely informed decisions. So anybody now can start configurating a product versus times you had to go through that whole process. Oh, let me ask my sales rep and the sales rep would go through the process of getting all the information and providing you pricing back. But by a visualizer, anybody can go in and can configure and design that product for themselves so they feel empowered. And once they are empowered, they are quicker to make their decisions too. As we heard in our previous interview with Marty, we're living in a digital era where our experiences with physical space and digital space are increasingly intertwined. What should those of us who are designing physical space be considering for the digital experience as well? First, consider the devices your occupants are using. Sure that anybody that's occupying that space, first of all, probably has three devices on them. Could be an iPhone or any type of mobile phone. It could be a tablet, a laptop, a watch, Bluetooth headphones. So what does that mean for access to power? How do you connect to technologies, whether you're displaying onto a larger screen? Knowing that they're on those devices, they're probably always going to be connecting to another human being. So what is the lighting like? If you are doing virtual meetings, is the lighting correct so you don't have the halo effect? The bright light is shining behind you. Not all of us are walking around with our Instagrammable correct lighting and microphones set up. So always think of those interactions of our spaces, whether it's large conference rooms, all the way down to personal meeting spaces. Next, invest in technologies that reduce friction. I am hoping that we are all going towards the investment into technologies that we have in our daily lives to be brought into commercial interiors. Look at some of those simple things that we have as mobile apps or experiences that we have when we go to a restaurant and now they've enabled online ordering and just making things very self-served so that we feel like we have choice and control. It ultimately comes down to that. As human beings, most like choice and control. So how can we empower those technologies and experiences into commercial interiors? Finally, Continue to experiment with new technology as part of your regular upskilling. ThinkLab research suggests that 91% of designers are eager to learn new technologies that will make their job easier, even if it initially takes more time to learn them. Embrace technology. Do not be afraid of it. Challenge yourself weekly, monthly, quarterly. How do you learn something new and start utilizing that instead of this is just the way that I do it? I've always used an Excel spreadsheet. I'm always going to just continuously use that. Have you empowered using Loom short videos to send to your client instead of a 15 bullet point email? Use Loom to do a quick demonstration and a video. You can probably tell more in a three minute video than you can in a 15 bullet point email that took you an hour to construct and then you're also anticipating that the end user is going to be able to read between those lines. Here's Trisha to close out the episode and share instructions for earning continuing education credit. I would like to thank everyone who contributed to this CEU podcast. 
At Panalam Service Systems, we are excited to introduce our new specification and sampling resource guide. This new platform provides integrated Smart Connect links, allowing the user access to information and services accessible by the camera of your smartphone. This digital guide creates efficiencies by reducing physical samples to drive positive change for the sustainability of our Earth's natural resources. Our goal is to provide you with a seamless experience. This is achieved by allowing the user direct access to sample ordering and technical product information that is always current. You no longer need to worry about outdated sample or product information. The time is now to adopt new tools and use old tools in new ways. Quoting Amanda Schneider, who you heard earlier on this podcast, the new world requires a synchronized swimming approach where disciplines work together and create a combination of physical and digital tools to elevate the experience for a new digital world. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed the CEU podcast. To obtain credit for listening, simply visit the show notes of this episode and click the link to take a short quiz. Thanks for listening and learning with us today. The Learning Objective is a Surround Podcast Network original production. Check out more shows from Surround at surroundpodcasts.com. This episode of The Learning Objective was produced and edited by Sandow Design Group. Special thanks to the podcast production team, Hannah Vitti, Wise Grisette, and Samantha Sager.